Good morning. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 14 and we read from verse 43 to verse 52. Mark chapter 14, verse 43 to verse 52. We are mainly looking this morning at verse 47 to verse 52, but it's good for us to read the context uh, of those verses. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under God. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and went away naked. Let us come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have an opportunity again this morning to continue our exploration through the Gospel of Mark. We thank you for this tremendous opportunity that we have, and we ask that, Lord, you bless the preaching of the Word, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would open the hearts of those that are hearing the Word to receive it, and not as a Word of man, but as a Word that it is, the Word of the living God. We thank you that this is your Word, your Scripture we are about to open. We do thank you, Lord, for all of these things. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, this uh, past week, uh, Professor Martin Green, uh, the CEO of Care England, uh, told MPs that he believes the government ran away from care homes to save the NHS. One care provider said our residents had been sacrificed by the government to serve the NHS. Now, we may never know how many care home deaths could have been prevented uh, by the government over this pandemic period. But what is not in doubt is that thousands of elderly uh, hospital patients with COVID symptoms were discharged uh, into care homes without being tested. And this enabled uh, COVID-19 to wreak havoc into care homes. And new research published by the London School of Economics uh, said, says COVID-19 has so far killed around 22,000 residents. And of course, this statistics has generated a lot of anger uh, among those who have lost loved ones uh, through lost loved ones who are, who, are, who are living in care homes. 
As I thought about the anger of those who are the bereaved families, it reminded me that their anger remind, reminds us that no one wants to be used and dumped. We don't want to be a sacrifice on someone's selfish altar. We want people to order our hand in love, to stick with us and walk us through the fire of life. And yet, as the care home death scandal shows, uh, no matter how reliable people are, or institutions, or governments, no one in life is 100% dependable on every, on every situation and every time. You see, for some, the government has actually done very well in the crisis so far. It has served the NHS and saved lives. But for others, as we are seeing from the Kerem scandal, it has put a sword to their elderly relatives. So here is our problem. Here is our problem. We long for someone we can always depend on in life. All of us do. But none of us are 100% reliable. None of us are. So it raises the question, doesn't it? Where can we find true faithfulness in this life? Is, is that it? Just, we should just accept that's a fact. No one is reliable and that's it. Or is there someone who can be, we can truly depend on? Well, the good news of the Bible is that there is that person. There is that faithful person we are all searching for. And the good news of the Bible is that this person we search for has actually already come searching for us. And this person is Jesus of Nazareth. We are currently on the road with Jesus in the book of Mark. Mark is one of the four eyewitness accounts, as you know, of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today we are in Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 47 to verse 52. Uh, it is a Thursday, the night before Jesus is crucified to death on Golgotha. And Jesus has come to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. Now last Sunday we saw that after Jesus finishes praying, one of his followers, Judas Iscariot, shows up in Gethsemane with a, with a crowd. They have come to arrest Jesus. Now this crowd with Judas is made up of temple guards and Roman soldiers. Uh, their blood is boiling, ready to drench their swords and clubs and blood if Jesus resists their arrest. And I imagine as they come, they are bundling their way in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, they are surprised to find our Lord Jesus actually waiting for them willing to be handcuffed and led away by them. And we read these events in verse 43 to verse 46. Let me just refresh your mind again. Verse 43 to verse 46. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him 
and led him away under that. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. That is Jesus. That is why we left the story last Sunday as a cliffhanger. Jesus is under Roman lockdown. And he raises a question, doesn't it? What does our Lord Jesus make of this loss of freedom? How is he going to react to it? What is going to happen to his disciples? Will they stay with him in incarceration or will they now run away? Well, the answers are in today's passage in verse 47 to verse 52. We see in these verses that Jesus never runs away. Uh, even as his followers sprint away like Hussein boss, Jesus remains. He has willingly given himself up to be arrested. And as we look at these verses, we can see that we can summarize them perhaps just in one sentence. We can summarize verse 47 to 52 in one sentence. And, we, and I think the big point it is making is this. It's teaching us that the faithfulness of Jesus saves us from our faithlessness against God. The faithfulness of Jesus saves us from our faithlessness against God. You see, all of us, we are all faithless against God. All of us. But Jesus is our God who has put on our human skin in order to be faithful as one of us and for us. And we see that truth very much in this passage. So today what I want you to really is to encourage you to sit your full weight on the faithfulness of Jesus. I want you to trust in Jesus who never runs away, not yourself. I want you to trust in the faithfulness of Jesus who saves us from our faithlessness against God. That's really what I want you to see from this passage and it's what I want you to do. Trust in the faithfulness of Jesus, not in your own faithlessness. So let's see that truth. So picture the scene uh, in Gethsemane. It is a full moon, as it always is during Sabbath, during Passover. Um, we are right there in the garden and a crowd is holding torches, swords, and clubs. And as you look into the eyes of, the of, this, of this crowd, what do you see as you look into their eyes? I see tension, brutality, prejudice, and I see a deep hatred for Jesus and his followers. And I imagine the disciples are feeling sickened and threatened by this crowd that has showed up. Because one of the disciples does something that leaves our mouths open. Look at verse 47. But one of those who stood by, who stood by Jesus, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, according to John, Peter is the one who was lunged uh, at the temple servant Malchus. And immediately as we read verse 47, we're thinking to ourselves, what is Peter doing here? Come on, I mean, talk about the odds. This is suicide, Peter's action here. 
Is he trying to get himself killed? I mean, I can only imagine that the anger within Peter wants to take someone to grave with it. Because I just can't imagine what Peter is doing here. Well, we, when we look at verse 47, we shouldn't imagine that Peter is aiming for the ear, right? And, and therefore, we, we have to assume that Peter is going for the head here. And in going for the head, he completely misses, uh, misses the, the, the Malchus and, and, and just slashes off his ear. And I'm now imagining at this moment the Roman legionnaires that are there are jumping forward, ready to take Peter out. The soldiers are just ready to, to, to strike him. But then according to Luke's account, at this moment our Lord steps in, he tells Peter to put the sword away, and Jesus then steps over to touch and heal Malchus. And then he turns to this bloodthirsty crowd that has been sent by the Sanhedrin, and with one direct question, our Lord Jesus exposes their cowardice and deceit. Let's read verse 48 to verse 49. And Jesus said to them, turning to the crowd, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. We just paused there, because he just exposed their cowardice. And then with one pointed comment, he now reminds them that they are only arresting him because it is the will of the Father for Jesus to be crushed on the cross. Let's read on verse 49. He says, But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And with those words, the arrest is done. The soldiers take Jesus into custody. The one who created the human race is now bound hand and foot as our prisoner. The one who has 12 legions of angels is bound by Roman legionnaires. We can imagine at this moment... I'm imagining, as I lead Jesus away, perhaps someone asking the question, where are you taking him? And perhaps the soldiers answer to the Sanhedrin, we want to make sure this man gets the punishment he deserves. And if we imagine for a minute that we are to put the mic to Jesus to respond, as he's led away, we ask him the same question, where, where, where are they taking you there? Where are you going? We would imagine Jesus answering, I am going into the center of my Father's will. Because you see, Jesus is not going to jail because he's a faithless criminal. He's wearing these chains as a prisoner. He's going into captivity because he's faithful to God. Jesus is, has been arrested because Jesus never runs away from God. He is submitting to the Father. And perhaps at this point, one of the soldiers turns to his boss and asks, what about his followers? And of course, it is too late. And the followers are already gone. We read that in verse 50. And they all left him and fled. Now, I'm wondering who runs first among the 11. Uh, we do not know. But I am sure young John had run them all. 
Mark does not tell us who won the sprint of shame among the eleven. Instead, what Mark does is he focuses in this verse 50 on the collective shame they share, their collective faithlessness. Let's read again verse 50. And they all left him and fled. In the original language, the all is placed at the end to make it emphatic. Uh, it isn't, it's almost like reading like they left him and fled all of them, right? It is intended to remind us that they are all in this um, failure together. Mark wants us to remember that all of them drank the same, from the same cup at the Lord's table in verse 12, 23. And they all promised to stand by Jesus in verse 31. And now all of them are fled, just as Jesus predicted in verse 27. Do you remember Mark 14, verse 27? Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. In the end, they have all proven that the best of men are men at best. They have proven that all of us are faithless. And just as we think it cannot get worse, it does. As our Lord is led away, a young man who had probably come behind the crowd now enters the picture. And the crowd notices this young man and quickly tries to pounce on him. But not to be outdone by the disciples, the, the chap runs away in naked shame, literally. Let's read that, verse 51 to verse 52. And a young man followed him as Jesus was being led away, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, seized the young man. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, there is a huge debate about who this young man is. Uh, and, uh, and I think, sadly, the huge debate uh, distracts us from the key point that Mark wants us to see in this passage. Mark has purposefully kept this young man anonymous. Why has Mark done that? Well, I think he's done that to focus our attention on what this young man did, not who this young man is. The man fled from Jesus in shame. And that should make us immediately stop and think and reflect over that. Because you see, in the Bible, nakedness is a sign of shame and disgrace. If you like, this young man is such a coward that he would rather save his skin by running home naked in shame than following his Lord to prison. Now, some people say this young man is Mark. Well, if it is true, then Mark is saying, I was there in that garden, and I was as shameful and as faithless as everyone else. Mark, in effect, is telling us we are all faithless, all of us. And the other thing Mark wants us to think is to, rem to take us perhaps back to Genesis. Because you see, by, by Mark telling us that this young man has run away naked from the garden of Gethsemane, I think Mark also wants us to remember what happened in the Garden of Eden. He wants us to remember especially how we ran away in shame 
in naked shame in the Garden of Eden. Because if you remember Genesis, uh, um, in, in Genesis uh, chapter 1 to chapter 3, uh, after Adam and Eve failed to remain faithful to God, they ran away from God in naked shame. And if you like, what Mark is saying to all of us this morning is this, is they're saying, really nothing has changed about the human race. Because Jesus here is the son of man. As we said, Jesus, that means Jesus is God in human flesh. And we see here that God has come to our garden in Gethsemane. And those who walked with him have run away from him in shame. The shameful faithlessness of the apostles. The 11 apostles to the 12 apostles, if you include Judas. Their, shameless, their shameful faithlessness of the apostles to God the Son represents all our faithlessness. Because all human beings, you see, are born putting God under the bus. This is the essence of sin. Sin is abandoning God for yourself. Sin is putting yourself first ahead of God. And the Bible says all of us are guilty of this. The prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53 verse 6. He says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's a prophecy about Jesus, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You see, Isaiah and Mark are looking, are telling us that we cannot always make ourselves stick with God. No matter how much we try, we are by nature two-timers. We are by nature rebels. We are by nature faithless. We are by nature abandoners of God. That's who we are. That's our identity. But thankfully, there is someone in this Garden of Gethsemane who has lived a perfect life, and even in this difficult moment when he's being arrested, is remaining faithful to God as one of us and for us. And this person is, of course, Jesus, the Son of Man, the, the perfect man who is also 100% God. Jesus is human like us, but lives differently from us. We see, we see here that he never runs away from God. Jesus is sticking with God's plan to restore us back to God. He's saying even now, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is sought out to dying on the cross for us. To, to, to suffer punishment in our place for our sin. And Mark later tells us that is exactly what Jesus does. We'll see that in chapter 15. On the cross right there on, on, in, on Golgotha, Jesus takes his 100% record of sticking with God and he swaps it for a shameful record of abandoning God and abandoning each other. And our Lord Jesus did this so that from the moment you put your trust in the death of Jesus for your sin, God now can look upon you as 100% squeaky clean, 100% faithful. 
See, God can do that because Jesus never ran away from God. He was faithful to death for us. And the faithful blood of Jesus wipes away our faithlessness. Past, present, future, all wiped away through the faithful blood of Jesus. And you see, our Lord Jesus does not just declare us faithful before God when we trust in him. He brings us into a new community of God where we grow in being faithful to God as we become more and more like Jesus. And we grow in being faithful to one another. As we've seen from that whole care, death, scandal and everything else we've experienced in life, in this world we'll never experience 100% faithfulness from anyone. We are incapable of giving that 100% faithfulness ourselves. But in Jesus, you see, we have been brought into a community, into the kingdom of God, where one day a time is coming in which all who trust in Jesus will live 100% faithful to each other. You see, the answer to our longing for faithfulness is found in Jesus and it is found in the kingdom of God that is establishing. And this is what salvation means, you see. Salvation is being faithful to God. It's salvation is Jesus being faithful to God in our place. This passage is teaching us that the faithful life of Jesus saves us from our faithlessness against God and each other. Now, for you to benefit from this, you, you must make sure you are depending only on the faithfulness of Jesus for life with God, not on yourself. You have many relationships in your life. Well, what makes your relationships tick that you have with people? But what makes the relationships good and worthwhile is that we are in those relationships because we believe the other person is trustworthy and reliable. You see, you are friends because you do not believe they are backstabbers. That's why they are your friends. You go to work because you trust your boss is not stealing your money. Well, in the same way, God can only have life with you if you are 100% faithful as he is. But no one can be always faithful to God. It's impossible. And this is why we need Jesus, right? God in Jesus fulfills the qualifications we need to be faithful to God. Unless we're faithful, we can't do life with him. But Jesus has come to be faithful in our place and for us. So if you trust in Jesus, you can now live with God. So what you and I need is to do now, if we haven't already done this, what we need is to trust in the death of Jesus for us. Trust in his death, his faithful blood to wipe away your faithlessness. The death of Jesus is the only currency that buys the faithfulness we need to live with God. Do not trust in the things you do for God. Do not trust in man-made faithfulness. It is not enough. 
You need to place your full body mass on the faithfulness of Jesus for you. Are you doing that? Are you trusting in Jesus? If you're not doing that, come now to Jesus. Repent of your faithlessness, your sin, your rebellion against God. And surrender your life to Jesus. Tell Jesus that you are now only leaning on his faithfulness for you. And from that moment of true repentance and surrender to Jesus, you have a new life with God and you'll be welcomed into his family, into the kingdom of God. And you have a great future ahead of you. A time when you live in the community of God where there will be no more faithlessness, only enjoying the faithfulness of God and our faithfulness with each other. What about those of us who are already trusting in Jesus? Well, there are two things. First of all, as we always remind ourselves, let us start with thanks. Let us thank God every day that the faithfulness of Jesus saves us from our faithlessness against God. You and I know that we are not different from Peter here. Every day you are with Jesus, and yet every day you, you wield swords that damage people around you. You often brandish the bitter sword of unforgiveness towards those who do you wrong, instead of extending the healing of grace to them as Jesus does. You swing the sword of lies to your children when you do not do what you promised them. By you failing to do things that you promise, you are making them distrust you and the Jesus you profess to all dear. You are eroding their confidence. You are damaging their life in the future. You know as well as I do that you often wield the anger, the sword of anger at people around you. Maybe your wife, when she confronts you about sin in your life, instead of responding with the calmness of Jesus, you wield the sword of anger. Or maybe your parents, when they say something that you don't like, instead of responding to them in love like Jesus, you wield the sword of rebellion and anger towards them. All of us are sinners in those areas. Or think about how often, like these disciples, you not only wield the swords that do damage, you rob Jesus of your friendship. Oh, my friends, how many times have you abandoned God's desire for you to fellowship with him? How many times have you allowed suffering in your life to cut you off from praying to God, from reading the Bible, and even fellowshipping with others over Zoom or when we used to meet in person, coming to physical fellowships? How many times have you passively abandoned Jesus by not looking out for struggling members of his body in the church. We have many people that are struggling in our fellowship through different ways. By you not reaching out to care for them, they, if they belong to Jesus, therefore you are abandoning the body of Jesus. How many times have you and I done that? We do that all the time, don't we? 
We run away from God in so many ways. Those are just a few examples. And yet, in all of these things, we can thank God that God never runs away from us. That's an amazing thing. Why does God never run away from us when we are so faithless towards him? Well, because Jesus never ran away from God for us. You see, the faithfulness of Jesus ensures that no matter, listen to me, no matter how faithless you get, God always says to you, nothing has changed. I am still here for you. Even in our faithlessness, we stand 100% faithful to God. Now, now I don't know how, how we can get over that. I, I can't get over that. It's absolutely mind-boggling. Oh, beloved, I mean, what an amazing thing, oh, brothers and sisters, that God loves us so much that even in our sin and our filth and our faithlessness, he still remains faithful to us because Jesus, our faithfulness is reckoned to us. The faithfulness of Jesus speaks for us before God. What an amazing thing. And the only way you and I can respond to this it is to go to Jesus daily and give him thanks for his endless faithfulness to us and for us. And the best way to express our thanks is to ask God to help us to truly turn our backs on anything that we are knowingly abandoning God for. That is the ultimate expression of thanks. We thank God by turning our backs on sin, even as we thank him for his grace, for already welcoming us as his children, as his faithful children in Jesus. You know, as A.W. Pink says, A.W. Pink says, anything that hinders our life or communion with God must be abandoned. Any habits which mar happy fellowship with the brethren or robs me of power in service must be made an end of. It must be burned. Whatever I cannot do for God's glory must be avoided. That's what this passage really demands from us. Thankfulness to God for the faithfulness of Jesus that results in growing in putting him first. The other thing we need to do, apart from thanking God, is that we need to learn from Jesus how to relate to people who let us down. People constantly abandon us in so many ways. They abandon us as individuals and they abandon us as a fellowship. You know, you're trying to make your marriage work at the moment. But the other person is not cooperating. They're not interested. Certainly not as they should be. They are there, but they have emotionally abandoned you. Physically they're there, but you feel that emotionally they have abandoned you. Or you are trying hard to make life with your relatives work. You want to make that relationship with one of your relatives really function. That's your desire. 
But when you try, all you hear from them is, he's selfish. He never cares about us. He thinks he's a big person now. What you're getting from them is relational blockade. You're getting emotional abandonment from them. Or maybe you are going above and beyond at your place of work. And then the time for the bonus comes and you rightly deserve that and yet you are ignored by everyone. They are not telling you to change your jobs. They are just making it clear that you are not in their income, as it were. You feel vocationally abandoned. How do we react to situations like that? Well, it is tempting to take matters in our hands, isn't it? To become bitter and withdraw from those who abandon us. It's very tempting. It's tempting for us to wield this world like Peter. But if you are facing abandonment and are tempted to react like that, please take another look at how our Lord Jesus reacts to his abandonment here. We never hear Jesus say a bad word about Judas Iscariot. That's what puzzles me about this passage. We never hear Jesus say a bad word about the disciples. We never hear Jesus put his head down and just say, oh, this naked young man, what a shame. How can he be my follower? No, Jesus, we never hear a word from him about that. Why? Because Jesus never runs away from us. And he never runs away from God. Because you see, the other thing we don't hear is that we don't hear Jesus says, look to God, I am trying to save you, God. I really am and... But how am I supposed to do it with one arm tied on my back? How am I supposed to do it with friends like this, with followers, with disciples, with Christians like this? No, Jesus doesn't do, say any of that. Jesus stays the course. He remains faithful to God. And we have to ask ourselves, how does Jesus manage to do it? Well, remember that though Jesus is fully God, He's also fully man, and he's living his life as a man dependent on God the Spirit, yes? So he does it by continually depending on the Spirit of God, and we need to do the same. We need to come to God and ask God to help us by his Holy Spirit every day. We need to be asking for the fresh infilling of the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit already, but we need to go to the Spirit. We need to go to God and ask him to fill us with the Spirit every day so we can grow in surrendering more and more to God. So he does that by that. Secondly, how does Jesus do it? He does it by prayer. We've looked at that already in Mark, how often Jesus is praying. And the amazing thing is that before he's arrested here, what has he been doing? He's been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So prayer is the heartbeat of the life of Jesus. If you and I are going to stick with God, to grow in faithfulness like Jesus, we need to be people of prayer. We need to prioritize praying with the church and praying with one another and praying with others on our own, praying in our families. The second thing we see Jesus, the third thing we see Jesus doing is that Jesus reads his Bible and he trusts his Bible. Look at verse 49 again. What does he say? But let the scriptures be fulfilled. The word of God to Jesus is, is the charcoal that keeps the fire of his faith. Burning brightly. Throughout Mark, we've been impressed with Jesus' command of the scriptures. 
He knows the living word of God. So if we as individuals and as a fellowship are going to grow in sticking with God when people abandon us, we must keep coming to God for the fresh infilling of his spirit. We must grow in prayer and we must grow in reading his word, trusting his word. And reading his word is about us making priority time to study the Bible on our own, but also making a priority to be part of these Zoom meetings that we have on Thursday evening when we've just been going through the book of Second Peter. And if you can't make that, then get in touch with me. There are ways in which we can make some of the notes available to you so that you can work through them at the time that suits you. And of course, you should find opportunities to partner with, uh, with other people in the fellowship, perhaps read a book of the Bible with someone, someone who's going to help you, uh, keep you to account so that you're reading the scriptures. Because we need these three elements, don't we? Coming back to God to fill us with His Spirit. Prayer and reading of the Word. And we know that God will help us to grow in faithfulness. God will help us to cope when people abandon us. Well, how do we know? Because all that Jesus has is ours. He is God with us, for us. He's our Emmanuel. And all that Jesus has done, is doing, and will do when he comes second time. is for us as well. He's our Jesus. Jesus, we have learned here, never runs away from God. And he never runs away from us, his people. Amen.